Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Robin McCutcheon, full professor at Marshall University and a friend of mine, is back, and we have quite the conversation here. A lot of education and jab awakenings taking place. We talk about Overton's goalpost from Burning Bright's Substack channel and discuss the media influence and the backtracking, of course, that the media is doing right now. Talk a little bit about finances toward the end, but a lot of awakenings taking place. There is no doubt about that. So I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to get right into the conversation. Again, I'm going to upload this immediately from today in our earlier conversation. So give this a listen, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you always for listening. I appreciate it. I know she does too. And I will catch you on Friday. Take care. And it's taken an awful long time for people to awaken from their deep, deep slumber. You know, I wanted to ask you this too, just kind of right off the top here, but just sort of a side comment. I can't be the only one who's experienced this, but I'm starting to have these thoughts where I'll go back in time and it's like I have a memory of just of a steel trap. I remember where I, where I was standing when I said something to someone, exactly what came out of my mouth, exactly what their responses were. And it's just a very odd sort of like, I don't know, getting in a time machine and going back in time. It's not comfortable, you know, to go to go back and think about things that occurred in the past, not just within the last three years, but like decades ago. And I don't I don't know why that's happening, but it's it's very odd. Well, sometime around the beginning of 20, 2002, so 20 years ago plus a little bit, I found myself uh, realizing that I was waking up. I, I had distinct feelings of being awakened from a long slumber. And I realized there were things that had gone on in the first four decades of my life, things that I should have remembered that I didn't, that were coming back to me slowly. And I think that I think that 2002, or maybe right around 9/11, was when I started actually rousing from my deep, deep brain programming. And um, it seems like it seems like just yesterday, really. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I also have had those flashbacks. You know, I've said something to someone. I recall it clearly. And then there are other things that just kind of slide by, but they bubble up when they need to. Does that make sense? It does. If I need some little piece of information from some brain cell somewhere, there it is, right on the tip of my tongue. And other times it just sort of fades away, like it's not important right now, but it will be in the future. Yep. That's, that's basically where I am, too. It's an interesting experience. Yeah, well, do you also sometimes feel like you're living in the future? Like the things that you know, the things that you know you know today, you knew two or three years ago, but the people around you are just now coming around to knowing what you knew three years ago, two years ago. It's To me, it's like living in the future. Cliff High said something like that. He says, I'm living two or three years out into the future, and it's tough sometimes to bring myself back to today. 
Yeah. No doubt about it. In fact, you know, I'll tell you I'll tell you a quick story here. I, I don't know if I've said this on my show or not, and I don't know if I've told you this either, but when I was growing up, my own my own mom used to say, and she didn't say it frequently, but I remember her saying it, and now of course she says it with more regularity because she was right. But she said when I was a little kid, she said that she had a voice come to her and tell her that she was going to be alive to witness something that had never been seen before. And she, yeah, and she, she would tell us that I'm a little more in tuned with, with God, I think, than my brother is, but, but I remember her saying that, and then as time would go on, and I would go through middle school, high school, and when I was in college, I remember feeling the exact same way. And of course, I was in college during 9-11, but even when that happened, I thought to myself, this isn't what my mom's talking about. She's talking about something else. Something that's even way bigger than this. And I remember very vividly um, one person in particular who was in my life back then, and I warned them the last time I saw them. I said, I have to tell you this. I said, you're not going to believe me, but I'm not going to be around to protect you now. And something terrible is going to happen in our lifetime, and I'm not going to be there to help you. I said, I don't know what that is. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen in our lifetime. And there was no response on their end. And now, of course, over the last three plus years with all of the lies, of course, and we know that everything that's taking place is a lie regarding the jabs and everything. But it's that kind of thing where I think back to myself and I, th- and I think, how, how in God's name did I, did I feel that so strongly? Uh, Excuse me. And then, of course, have my mom feel the exact same way. And we can't be the only people. I mean, I'm certain that there are endless people who have felt the same thing over the course of their lives, but I have no doubt we're living through it. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I don't think I ever had that strong of a an exterior impression upon me. But, but I remember... Um, I was teaching a summer class back in the, I guess it must have been the summer of 2004, and one of my students came to me. I was teaching a macroeconomics class of principles of macroeconomics, and I was talking about, um, I think I was talking about money supply or something. We were covering some of the financial stuff, and one of my students came to me and said, have you ever read The Creature from Jekyll Island? And I said, no. And he said, you should get that book and read it. So I did. And I read it. And in fact, I still use Chapter 10, the Mandrake Method, when I'm teaching about um, money creation because it's just, a, it's just a trick, right? It's a sleight of hand, creating money out of debt. So the next semester in the fall, I'm teaching this Mandrake Method to my class. And another student comes up to me and says, have you ever read Atlas Shrugged? And I said, why, yes, yes, I have, but, you know, 20 years before. And he said, you should go back and read it because some of what you're talking about is in there. So I went out and bought Atlas Shrugged and read it again, only now I'm reading it with, you know, 40 years of history under my belt. And, and it just clicked. And I said to God, 
in a prayer, I want to teach this book. I don't know where, I don't know how, but I want to teach this book. And so (laughs) when I ended up at Marshall, the first week I'm there, I'm walking through the hallway and there's a case of Atlas Shrugged books sitting out in the hallway. And I was like, what? So I knocked on the professor's door and I said, why do you have a case of Atlas Shrugged books sitting in the hallway? He says, oh, I get five or six cases a year. I'm, I'm teaching this class. The kids call it the Atlas Shrugged class. And he goes, I, I just, there's, I get so many books, I just give them away. I said, well, do you mind if I take some books? He said, take the whole box. So I took the whole box, and after finding out some more information from this guy, I found out he hated teaching this class. I um, I contacted the gentleman at the university who actually had founded the class and wriggled my way into the guy who is currently teaching it to move on and teach something he really wanted to teach and move me into teaching the Atlas Rock class. That took seven years from the day I said to God, I want to teach this book to actually teaching the class. There you go, on his time. Yep, on his time. And after a semester or two of teaching the class, I said to God, again, I want to see, I want to live long enough to see this whole corrupted system of socialism and communism tossed into the dustbin of history by people around the world. And here we are. We're watching it. Yeah. That was 10 years ago. It's gone a lot faster than I thought it would, you know. Heck, I thought I'd be 150 before the whole thing fell apart. Looks like I won't, I won't have to wait that long. It'll come a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw a great meme the other day. It was a cat. It was a cat looked like it was praying, and at the bottom it said, "Please God, let me live long enough to uh, to use my my youthful ability for extreme violence while the you know <laughs> while the going gets tough, something <laughs> like that." <laughs> Well, there are, there are many, many ways to slay this dragon, and I think that there are an awful lot of us out here in the world that are playing our little bit parts, you know. Maybe it's not, in the whole scope of things, it's, it's not the critical piece, but just like a death of a thousand cuts, we can kill this dragon, and we can, we can slay it, toss it in the dustbin of history, and walk into a new future. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Likewise. Likewise. It's going to be a little bumpy, but, oh, yeah. you know, no dragon ever goes down without a fight. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we, why don't we start with Marshall here in your faculty retreat? What do you say? Yeah. Some of your observations yeah. of, of things that you saw then. And again, wh- when did that faculty retreat take place? And then what went on during that time? Sure. That was, that was, I think, the third Wednesday in August, so the 16th of August. Okay. And, Sean, I had to laugh. I, I really had to cover my mouth and to keep from laughing out loud because that faculty retreat mirrored the exact first faculty retreat that I'd ever been to. 
it was boring. It was um, a, a lot of information was thrown at us. Most of it was technology. Um, letting the faculty know we are moving into some of these new technologies and right now maybe you don't have to um, update your Blackboard class but you will have to do it by next summer. And I turned and I looked at a young colleague and she whispered over to me, I tried migrating to this new Blackboard Ultra and it was a disaster so I had to go back to the old one. And I thought to myself, this is exactly what they were telling us 10 years ago when whatever version of Blackboard we were using back then, they were going to upgrade to the new one. And there were groans around the room, just like this year. Oh my God, the new stuff never works. There's bugs all over the place. What a disaster. But the entire faculty retreat, um, it, it was such a throwback to the first one I'd had back in the summer of 2010 that it, it really made me laugh. It, it just <laughs> it was such a waste of time. But I got to see a lot of people. Some of them are now in very um, advanced stages of deleterious health. And, and you can see it, right? That some of the people who were very robust and healthy looking in 2020, now they've had two or three or four jabs or five and they're, they're looking frail, they're shuffling around. Um, it's, it's sad, you know, because a lot of these people aren't going to make it very long. And are you the only unjabbed person in your faculty? Um, that one, I, I think there might be one or two others, but I've, but I've been told by these one or two others that they did not take the jab because they were already in a, a state of very frail health when the jabs rolled out. So I don't, I don't think, but I don't think they actually took it back then, but, but I don't know. Um, as far as I know, I'm the only one who didn't. Interesting. But I can tell you that, that in my own department, um, one of the, one of the younger faculty who I think, I think must be in his mid thirties, he was a very robust gentleman, you know, very athletic. And when I saw him for our retreat, he was almost skeletal. Just, you know, wasting away. Yeah. And I know for a fact that he only got two because he told us in the, I guess it must have been in August of 2021 when they were rolling out the, the boosters. He told all of us in the department, he said, I'm not getting any more. If the first two didn't work, the third one won't. But he got two. It's amazing. So, yeah, I know. So, I don't know. I just sort of, <clears throat> I just sort of look at them and ask God to take care of them and go about my merry way. Because there's nothing I can do. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what about some of the other, uh, you know, campus-related observations that you've seen now that students are back? The campus feels fuller to me. It feels like there are more people on campus this year. Um, and on the first day of class, because 
I, I had already read through some of the Great Awakening and the other social boards that I frequent. I'd already read the warning that Alex Jones was coming out with, you know, hey, they're going to try and run this play again. So I addressed it on the very first day. I didn't mention Alex Jones, but I said, hey, there's a rumor running around that, you know, we're going we're gonna to have jab mandates and mask mandates. And in my first class, which is principles of micro, there's a lot of young people, like 18, 19 years old. So when all of this crap went down in 2021, they were still in high school. Mm-hmm. And I addressed, um, I, I went to the Open Bears website. I told them about all of the research that I had stuffed into a, a file folder in their Blackboard class that they could read about the pandemic and the jabs and mask mandates and all that stuff. And um, and I looked at them and I said, so I'm just wondering, you know, if this stuff comes out, are you going to take another jab if you got one all, one ready, one already or two or three or however many? Are you going to mask up? Are you going to bend the knee? Are you going to obey? Or are you going to stand up and say, no. And I, and I did this for the, my face-to-face classes. And... Um, and some of the things that I heard after class over the first week were, I never got jabbed, I never masked up, I'm not going to do it now. And I pointed out to the students that, you know, if this rolls around, if this actually comes out mid-September like we think it might, or even mid-October, um, I pointed out to the students that the university's finances are such that if they had a 1,000 students e- email all of the top administration and the Board of Governors saying, if you do this, I'm quitting. Um, yeah, fine, you got my t- tuition for this semester, but I'm not coming back, and I'll tell everybody from the towns I come from that, you know, don't go to Marshall. And I said, just a 1,000 students, and they would, they, would, they would backpedal on this so fast it'd make your head spin. And I think I could get a 1,000 students to do that. So I bet you could, um, too. Yep. Yeah. So, so I told the students, I said, you have more power than you think you do. And, you know, most of the, most of the people who head up administration were too young to remember the sit-ins in the 60s, but I'm not. I'm not that young, and I remember them. And it was, it was, uh, it was a very peaceful, noncompliant way of forcing the administration to do what the students wanted. And so um, I think they would. I, I think I could get a thousand students to email administration and the board of governors and say we're not doing this, and you aren't either. Um, when the when the, about a week ago I saw a student with a mask on, but most students are not masking up. They're not going to do it this time. I don't I don't know if I've got a new crop of people, people who have come into this life with. A, a spine of titanium and a determination to be their own, be the guide of their own life and not look to authority to make their decisions for them. Or or if this whole experience from 2020 and 2021 was enough to cause them to wake up. But I'm hearing from students a lot more of the, they can try it, but I'm not doing it kind of a thing. Good. So I think in this whole um, in this whole narrative that's been going on since 2020, I think there's a, a general awakening 
um, I, w- I would say, I want to say in the body politic, but, but, you know, in our communities, I think there's a recognition that they've been lied to over and over and over. And I think there's a general, I got a general feeling of grumbling and why would they lie to us? I mean, a lot of the people are recognizing that they've been lied to. They haven't quite latched on to why the lies were told. They don't actually realize, and I talked about this in both classes, that they have been programmed since birth. If you're watching TV, you've been programmed. Why do you think they call these shows that you watch programs? And, yeah, so, I mean, but the the awakening never stops. And let me give you an example. Um, I've taught this Atlas Shrug class for 13 years now. And, um, and I had an epiphany just the other day that every form of government on this earth right now is a form of government that is totalitarian in nature. That government itself is a tyranny. And and I thought, man, how do I how do I transfer that that recognition that every form of government that exists on this planet today is a form of tyranny. And our founding fathers knew that the only way to escape this was to keep the government as small as possible. But even that one, even a small government, is a tyrannical beast that needs to be caged and chained. Yeah. And that's a difficult, you know, that's a difficult uh, nut to crack there, too, because again, <clears throat> I was emailing a listener of my show just this morning before before you called and basically the, the the comment that i made to them is one that i've said on on show with regularity is the reason that numerous individuals like the two of us and and those that have listened to us before and and have a pretty good idea as to where we stand on things the reason that we don't run for elected positions is because we know that those positions shouldn't even exist yeah, and that's why the people who take those positions are the people who believe them to be vital to the existence of us as people, us as a country, and they actually believe that they're doing a good thing by holding on to those positions and doing whatever it is that they want to do within those positions. And the exact opposite is true. Yes, it's just gotten, like you said, yeah. it's gotten way too. Government's gotten way too big, and it's beyond problematic. And you can't fix it from the inside. It's not fixable. No. It's not fixable yep. unless you completely remove it and start afresh and start new. And even then, you know, you, you have to have safeguards in place so that whatever government, whatever governing body or community body is put into place is kept under strict control by the populace, which means the populace has got to be awake. They've got to be aware of what their local, state, and federal government actors are doing. You can't just, you can't, we can never, once once we get rid of this crap that's going on, we can never go back to the way we were. We, In other words, we can't go back to sleep and just let somebody else handle it. We, we all have to, there's got to be some little piece, some little part that each of us plays in actively keeping an eye on whatever governing body 
is around us, whether it's the school board or the, you know, local town council or whatever. We, we can't let this happen again or we're going to be right back where we started from in 500 years. Now, I don't think I'm going to last 500 years, although, you know, I might, but I sure, I sure don't want the 10th generation away from me to have to deal with this crap again. Yeah. And I don't think we will. I think, I think that we all are having, I think we're all having the greatest story on earth told to us in such a fashion that we, all of us, all of us on the planet can awaken to the fact that what's going on in government of all levels is, to borrow a phrase from Captain America, it's a hydra, a many-headed hydra, and the only way to slay it is to completely remove it. And so I think I think what we're seeing around the world, especially in, say, the seven or eight African countries that have had military coups in the last, what, six or eight weeks, I think what we're seeing around the world is a worldwide revolt by, for lack of a better word, by the peasant class, all of us. Because we're, we're looked upon as the useless eaters. We're the peasants. We're the chattel. And all across the world, we're seeing people take back their country from the deep staters who thought they owned it all. Yeah, look, look. I don't think we're going to go back to where we came from. I think we're going to, I think we're, as a humanity, I think we're finally getting to the stage of growth and maturity that we can... We can look back on our past history, whatever it may, whatever of it might be true, and I think more truth is going to be coming out, but we can look back and say, I can see the mistakes that we've made in the past, and let's not do that again. Let's take a different path. Yeah, I certainly hope so, and uh, th that actually kind of leads me to this, and I'm not sure if I've asked you this, but... Uh, where has Huntington, West Virginia's city council and mayor sat on all of this? Because I assume that they're uh, much on like all the jab stuff and the lockdowns and, you know, d did they put forth ordinances and I mean, did they just go along with what bigger government was telling them? I mean, I have to assume that they were much like Oxford, Ohio and Miami University. You know, that's a really good question. And, and I'm not sure I have, I'd have to do some research to answer it. In a, in a more informed fashion. But what I can tell you is um, when we went back to face-to-face -face classes in the fall of 2021, gosh, it seems like such a long time ago, um, the VP of Academic Affairs, um, a woman I knew, went to the um, campus police department and demanded that they arrest any student or faculty member on campus that wasn't wearing a mask. And wow. they refused her. So then she went to, and I have this story straight from the provost, so, you know, can't be too much exaggerated. So then she went to the Huntington Police Department and demanded the same thing, and they told her, basically, get the, get the F out of here. We're not doing that. We're not arresting anybody that's not wearing a mask anywhere. That's good. So, yeah. So I was heartened to hear that. 
Um, and the provost told me this during our faculty retreat in August of 2021. So I already knew before I even got onto campus that no one was going to be arresting me. And um, this, this poor woman decided to step down from her position and retire at the end of December 2021. So obviously somebody somewhere went, nah, you're not staying. Take a hike. So, so I'm not sure. I'd, like I said, I'd, to, to know what the Huntington City Council and the mayor was all about, I'd, I'd actually have to go do some research. But it was, it was pretty low-key whenever I went to downtown Huntington. I mean, yeah, you saw people outside wearing masks, but you saw a, quite a few who were not. So I, I don't know if it's the nature of West Virginians just to be generally rebellious just in their DNA. I mean, it could be, but um, there, there were a lot of people who were basically flipping a middle finger at anybody who looked like a government official. Yeah, so I was, I was heartened. And I was, like I said, when I approached this topic on the first day of class this semester, um, I, had, I had much more support in my statements about, you know, you're going to mask up, you're going to jab up. Um, and I had much more support of, no, I'm not going to do that. There were a few people who I could tell were put off by this kind of talk. But I said, it has to be said, because if we don't say this, if we don't acknowledge that this might be coming at us, then you're not going to be prepared to say, no, thanks, I decline to participate in that stupid game again. Yeah, the, the, so, it's, and, nope. it's, and it's only the people who bought into it that are going to be put off by it. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did ask my students. I was very, very forthcoming, and I said, how many of you, you don't have to tell me, I don't want to see any hands. But I'm just going to ask this question. How many of you watched members of your family or, or friends that you knew or teachers get the jab, one, two, three, four, how, however many, and there's died suddenly it's all over the place? Or all of a sudden someone's got turbo cancer. Um, and I, and, you know, I, just, I just laid it out there and I said, I just want you to think about this. And I brought up um, Ed Dowd who is um, a great analyst, lives out on, I think he lives out on Maui, or by Maui, and um, his finance technologies company did has been doing a lot of analysis with the NHS data out of Britain and whatever data they can pull out of the Social Security Administration from here. And they've, they've, they've come out and said, these jabs are causing in some cases, irreparable harm. Anybody who didn't die straight up, um, the people who are left, who are disabled and injured, that's roughly 30% plus of our labor force. I mean, we're talking about 35 million people who are, who are perhaps permanently injured and disabled from these. So I can point to data, and I can get my students going in the right direction where they're looking at this stuff, and and at least maybe give them a few drips of information that will perhaps inoculate them against doing the stupid stuff again. Yeah, and I'm but sure I did have students. 
I did have students come up to me after class, both classes that, that I did face-to-face, and they, and they told me, I'm never jabbed, didn't take the jab, not going to get the jab, not going to mask up. My family is just like me, not jabbed, not masked, you know. So there's a lot more support for this um, do not comply than ever there was in 2021, and that's good. That yeah. means those people have recognized some piece of the narrative that was a lie from the beginning as a lie, and they're not buying into it this time. Yeah, that's excellent. They would have been uh, incoming freshmen now at the college level would have been sophomores in high school, give or take. So yeah, yeah. it's possible they, they uh, you know, dodged a bullet there. Could be. I'm hoping so. Um, so I, it, but it's a different, it feels different on campus. Like I said, we have more students and our numbers are actually up by two and a half or three percent. So administration was quite delighted over that. Um, and they, they weren't beneath uh, rubbing WVU's nose in the, in the dog poop about, hey, you know, you lost two and a half or three percent of your students. And um, turns out WVU is in pretty terrible shape. So, you know, they were, I have a recording of, I actually have a recording of WVU um, faculty celebrating the fact that they were going to force their administration to mandate the jab across campus for faculty and staff. And, And I thought, well, you guys made the wrong decision. You have chosen poorly. Celebrating your own demise. Yes, yes. So, you know, the the battle rages on, but I think I think what I'm seeing across the inner zones, the interweb, is that those of us who are on the side of right and good, those of us who are, you know, fighting for our own existence are winning. It's small little steps, but we're, we're taking one hill at a time. We're making the black hats and the, and the deep state retreat. And that was part of that email that I sent you the other day about um, Overton's goalpost that uh, Burning Bright was writing about on his Substack. Yeah, go ahead and get into that if you want. I, I briefly mentioned it at the sure. beginning of, of the last episode, and I referenced you and that you sent it my way. It was very interesting, and I completely agree with it. Oh, yeah. I, I listened to that this morning. Well, first, let me give um, a little bit of background on the Overton window. Let me find my, my, my little clip here. The Overton window is... Um, It's the range of policies that are politically acceptable to the mainstream population at any given time. Um, It was named after an American policy analyst, Joe Overton, who stated that an idea's political viability depends mainly on whether it falls within a range rather than on politicians' individual preferences. And um, and I'm taking this off of Wikipedia, so, you know, I don't stab me for Wikipedia, but I don't think anybody's gotten to this one just yet. According to Overton, the window frames the range of policies 
that a politician can recommend without appearing too extreme to gain or keep public office given the current climate of public opinion at any given time. So Overton described a spectrum from more free to less free with regard to government intervention. And it's oriented on a vertical axis where at the top of the axis is freedom and liberty. And at the bottom of the axis, axis is tyranny and totalitarianism. And this window is literally floating between freedom and tyranny. And so it orients vertically on the axis, this window, and it avoids the comparison between right and left political spectrum. Um, our founding fathers knew that if we ever were in a position where two political parties were running everything, that those two political parties could be, probably would be corrupted so that they're actually, they actually blend into one party. So you know, you've noticed, and I know your audience has, um, the Democrats will say one thing, you know, we support the workers, what they were saying back in the 60s. And the Republicans back in the 60s were all about um, big business and government helping business. Well, if you look at how, what those two political parties are saying now, now the, the Democrats are all about government interfering in business. And the Republicans, some of them, those who are not rhinos, are saying, therefore, the workers. So these two political parties in 60 years have literally switched positions. And, and you and I both know that there are many people who are Democrats or who are Republicans, that they are Democrat or Republican in name only, and they belong to a big club and we ain't in it. So let me go back to Overton. Can I make a quick example? I don't know if this fits or not. I feel oh, like sure. it does. There, there was a, it's it's off topic, but it's related. There was a okay. very interesting observation I made here over the weekend. Uh, I was hanging out with my brother and his kids, and 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 they they still watch football and they still watch sports, um, and I do not and haven't for a very long time. But one of the things that's happened in college football apparently is all of the SEC TV announcers are now Big Ten announcers. And all of the former yeah. Big Ten announcers are now SEC announcers. And, I mean, it's an odd shift, but it's basically just like you said. It's a trading of places, but it's being done to maintain an audience. It's being yeah. done in an effort to still get people to watch a dying sport. I think it's a dying sport, certainly from an audience perspective, because even the stands weren't full during some of these games that I was watching. But even so, it's a corporate move, I think, that they just decided to make because they thought to themselves, well, we're getting too complacent. There's too many people that know that these announcers call these games and have for a very long time. So the networks themselves just switched and switched basically the kinds of conferences that they would be covering. Again, I think in an effort to, to keep and maintain some kind of an audience and basically gaslight their audience into... I don't know, paying attention to games that they wouldn't normally pay attention to, but it's still the same circus. That's entirely possible. Let me, let me throw an example back at you. Um, so Overton's window starts with 
the unthinkable policy. It, you, you can't, you cannot put it out there into the public. People would revolt. The next step is a radical policy. Okay, you know, there are some people on the fringe that think this is okay. Then there's the acceptable stage where the main body of people is saying, well, okay, you know, maybe I don't like it, but looks like everybody else is for this. Then there's the sensible policy. That's the next step. And then it's very popular policy. That's almost the last step. And then it becomes policy. So let me give you an example. Um, way back in the 1960s, when the um, pill came out, it was, that was an unthinkable thing. You, you could not, um, it really was only the feminists who latched on to the pill for birth control. It was unthinkable because we'd never had anything in our society where women could, women were in charge of their own bodies with the point, with the point of delaying childbirth or delaying taking on the, the mantle of motherhood. And even though the pill was um, an unthinkable policy, there were enough people out in the fringes that, that latched onto it. I remember back then, that was a very radical thing. You didn't run around talking in your social circles about who was getting the pill. That was, you just, it was not topic of conversation, polite conversation. So, but then, the pill becomes kind of more acceptable as we move into the 70s. Um, people, I remember people in, in high school, there were a cadre of girls who were very open about talking about being on the pill. So it was more acceptable social conversation maybe in the younger generations, but certainly not in the older generations. Um, then by the time we get to the middle 1980s, it becomes a sensible policy. And by the end of the 1980s, it's very popular. And what do we have now? It's, it's, it, we're at the point where everybody accepts it. You can do the same thing about pedophilia. It's an un unthinkable policy. Where are we at now? If you move down through these unthinkable, radical, acceptable, sensible, popular kind of stages, what are, what are, um, the, what are the people in pedo world doing? They're trying to make pedophilia normal. You were talking about it on your show, the last two shows I listened to. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's kind of an, an ex a real-life example of Overton's window. It has moved from, at least under pedophilia, it has moved from the unthinkable to a portion of our society, a very small portion that's trying to push it so it becomes government policy that everyone must accept pedophilia as normal. That's how far we've come since, oh, you know, the last 30 years even. So that's an example of Overton's window. It's a, it's a window looking into the government policy that may be filtering from the unthinkable to actual laws, rules, and regulations. Now, Overton's goalpost, which is what Burning Bright was talking about, um, he, he, sets out, he sets out what the Overton window is. It's a broad range of policies. It doesn't refer to any sort of objective 
um, an objective measure of reality. It, it's not really even truth, but the Overton window is a general psychological window through which the mainstream feels comfortable viewing reality as it is being presented to them. So in other words, this is a new narrative we want you to accept. How about the COVID narrative? Remember all of the um, death numbers that all of the six mainstream cable channels were showing us day in and day out? That, that narrative was to scare the pants off us. 33 new cases. <laughs> yeah, right. Over and over and over so, again. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> Overton's window as a concept really is a psychological control framework means that it's not fixed along a set of psychological lines. It's, um, it is maneuverable. The very maneuverability of Overton's window, um, it is the very maneuverability of the Overton window that makes it such an effective cipher through which to observe and attempt to guide the collective mind. So if we're all sheep and we're all sound asleep and we're all brainwashed and we're all programmed, whatever it is that we're watching on the boob tube, that's reality, even if it isn't. That's what the truth is. Whatever the TV tells us, that's the truth, even if it's not. Now, there were enough of us in 2020 that were looking around going, hey, wait a minute. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. Who has come up with this bullshit? You know, so yeah. there were enough of us that were awake that had broken free of our programming that I think we were, maybe we were set back on our heels a little bit, but we didn't quit digging around and researching and running down rabbit holes to find out what the truth is. Now, Burning Bright says that Overton's goalpost refers to the general narrative pattern that can be observed by tracking the media industrial complexes and their political stooges movement in the rhetorical realm. So, so for example, I, um, in, at the end of February 2022, <clears throat> when uh, Russia invaded, put invaded in quotes, invaded Ukraine, and and said they were going to demilitarize Ukraine. They also said they were going to denazify it. They were going to remove the Nazis from Ukraine. And when that um, when that series of events started at the end of February 2022, I asked my 250 class and my 408 class. I said, "Do you think Ukraine can win?" And after a long while, the I had half the students saying yes and half the students saying no. So I asked the students who said yes, Ukraine can win. I said, what is your evidence? And they couldn't produce it. Even after, you know, searching on the Internet for information about how strong Ukraine's army was. And I said to them, this is, this is a drama meant to keep your attention away from something. This drama that we're watching while Russia, quote-unquote, invades Ukraine is going to turn out that Russia will win, put win in quotes, because Ukraine doesn't have an army nearly a tenth the size of what Russia can put together. And so what did we see in the New York Times just the other day? 
Um, it was basically, oh my God, we're losing Ukraine. Now what do we do? Right? So it's taken a year and a half to get to this point where the mainstream media is beginning to see that their grasp, their hold on the narrative about Ukraine isn't making any more progress. In fact, it's actually backlashing on them. That this very um, act or drama that's going on over in Ukraine is being seen through. People are seeing through the magic trick and they're not accepting it anymore. And so now the media has to shift. Um, the same thing kind of took place with um, the mask mandates. Fauci came out in January of 2020 and February of 2020 and said, look, masks don't work. They're not going to keep a virus out. But by the end of March, he was saying, you've got to wear a mask. Just the other day on CNN, some anchor basically held Fauci's feet to the coals about what he had said about masks. Look, you said, in January 2020, that masks don't work. And then by the end of March 2020, you're saying you have to wear a mask, maybe two. And Fauci came out with this mumbling pile of bullshit that was just gobbledygook. I could not make heads or tails of it. And, it, but, but, there's the shift. They now know that this mask mandate stuff is not going to work. So now they've got to put Fauci on the polls. You know, you told us this. So what are we going to see next? Fauci being hauled off to Gitmo very publicly? That would be fun. It would be. So, it'd be, into, yeah, they, they would, of course, have to have way more on him than him just lying on a television show. Sure, uh, you know, sure. him being pathological. But yeah, you're right. Sure. So, so Overton's goalpost is the story about what's going on with Overton's window. You know, it's for, for those of us who are awake or more aware or who have been able to dump our programming, <clears throat> when we're looking out into the narrative that the mainstream media is trying to get everyone to swallow, we can detect where the deep state is retreating on their story. And every time they retreat and we advance forward, taking battleground, we're pushing them, we're pushing them into a corner, a corner from which they cannot retreat. They, there won't be any place for them to go. The stories, the truth about what's going on out there in the world is going to become more and more prevalent. And we're going to see in the mainstream media, whether it's newspaper or on cable TV, we are going to see those um, anchors who are really just readers shift their Overton window. They're going to shift the story around the window so that we're getting closer and closer to the truth. Well, Ukraine never really was going to win. Really? Indeed. Because you told us in February 2022 that there was no way Ukraine couldn't win. Yep. So Overton's goalposts, I like the way Burning Bright took that. I like the way he said it. It's the, the general narrative pattern that can be observed by tracking the media industrial complexes and their political stooges movement 
in the rhetorical realm along a charitable and illogical pathway when confronted not just with the truth as put forward by patriots, but rather when confronted by the effects those truths and revelations are visiting on the collective mind they are rapidly losing control of. So the people like you who have a very dedicated podcast, you are exposing an aspect of what's going on in the real world, and you've been doing this since I met you. When, when I met you, you were talking about how grooming was taking place in the K-12 system. And do you want to hear a real funny one, Sean? I do. I wasn't sure I, I, wasn't sure I believed you back then. Yeah. You look shocked. I, I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, how can this be true? But in the news, in our local area, I have observed at least once every at least once every couple of weeks, and it's been more frequent the last several months, some teacher or high school administrator or coach has been exposed as being a pedophile. Yep. And the list of so, and the it, list of pedophile apologists and pedophile excuse makers is even longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 thinking this is just my two cents, but I'm thinking in the Bible Belt where we live, that pedophilia is probably not going to go over too well. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. So, um, so. Burning Bright Substack is is really good. I like the place where he talks about how the goalpost um, kind of flows along specific phases, and I think you covered this. The, the phases are deny, diminish, qualify, distract, and at the last they admit it, but almost always there's a little tail end of a, of a story that leads you back to the first one, deny. You know, but when I read that, I was like, you can see this happening already in the media. You know, when, uh, especially, for example, about the mask mandates. First, it was, of course, masks worked. You know, don't listen to those crazy right wingers. They don't know anything about science. Well, I tried following the science. It didn't lead me anywhere. So I looked at where the money was going, and that's where I found the science. So people can use this to, to figure out where in this entire drama we are. Where are we at in the drama? Are we close to an ending? Are we close to a, a close of a chapter and the beginning of a new chapter? And, and that's why I say I think that what we've been looking at surely since 2020, but probably since before then, is a very long, drawn-out, um, story. It's a story, it's almost like the Iliad and the Odyssey. You know, it's very long, it's very drawn out, eventually you get to the end. You know, the end doesn't come nearly as fast as you'd like it to. But we are being told that we, the people of the earth, are being shown a story of how these deep staters were able to infiltrate every level of society. And now they're teaching in our schools. Right? Yeah. I think I said once on your show, when we get down to the end of this, we're going to find out that every institution, every agency, everything we thought, every 
group of people that we thought was on our side were going to find out they've been infiltrated and taken over by some minion of the deep state. Yeah. You know, Fox News so, did, Fox News even did that the other day. Uh, it was last week, I believe, and I uh, I put the clip on my Gab page, and then I also put the clip in one of my war videos right at the tail end, and it was the show Outnumbered. That was, of course, it's hosted by you know a number of women, and then there's a guy who sits in the middle. But yeah. Kaylee McEnany was, uh, if I'm saying her last name correctly, you know, the former uh, press secretary. She she of course works there and has for quite some time, but. The topic of discussion was mask wearing and possible masks coming back, and I yeah. thought, and I thought, well, first of all, you're you're late to the show, and then I thought, second of all, you were responsible for this. This was initially your right. fault. Three and a half right. years ago, this was your doing, and then they went around yeah. and they went around the horn, and they all they all agreed that masks are unnecessary and whatever. And then it got to the liberal female who lives in California, and she's on the right hand side of the couch. And she says, you know, I got on a plane to come here and I wore a mask to get on the plane. But she but she said, I was talking with with my friends and blah, blah, blah. And they all wear the masks and and they're all sick and they couldn't get together for a dinner because they're all you know, they all have covid and they all tested positive for covid. And I'm saying to myself, who watches this and thinks to themselves that these are the people you need to be following? So. Right, right. Yep. because how many people watching that remember back three years ago when those exact same people were telling you, put a mask on? Absolutely, yep. Yeah. It, it is not so, only Overton's window and Overton's goalpost, it is, it is constant to this day gaslighting. That they didn't, oh, ab- yeah. that they didn't yeah. abuse you, they weren't responsible, and now, they're st- right. and now they're basically laughing at you if you're still doing it, and yet again, they were the ones suggesting it to begin with. Right. Well, Burning Bright says on here, Overton's goalpost is not an attempt to make sense out of illogical frameworks of the enemy. Rather, use it to codify the observation of such illogical frameworks as a sure sign of their, the enemy's, retreat and our progress on the informational battlefield. So, yeah, those posts like that that you put up, especially if you could get one from back in March of 2020 or April of 2020, where they're saying put a mask on and set it side by side and say they're lying to you, and now they're laughing at you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, these um, the whole <clears throat> the whole story that is out in the news today, I think, is yet another distraction away from what's really happening. Um, you mentioned and I and I listened to the podcast about the State Board of Education and I think I sent you an email that said, Hey, I think this is I think this is in reaction to our continuity of government, which we've been put under since before Donald Trump came into office. Right. Because I think I think the military um and Donald Trump devolved the government, I think and um January 17th of 2017, the first Federal Continuity Directive 1 set into place the umbrella under which all of the government was devolved and only the, all of the things that the government was in charge of doing, the federal government was in charge of doing, was thrown back to the states. And that would be 
one of them would be the Department of Education. And so, you know, one of the one of the pieces of information or a data point that you could say this may actually confirm that the Department of Education was shut down and everything was thrown back to the states is what's going on with the state of Ohio and their their new um, framework for education for the K twelve system. Right. That, 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 you know that's and, highly that's highly possible. And I, I really have no doubt about that. I think that the the chink in the armor has to do with what the state already had planned moving forward. And what we know from back in 2020 when they closed things down is the enemy already had an entire playbook that they were going to run with back in 2020. Because they knew that this oh, was, yeah. I mean, they knew it was coming. So oh, yeah. it's not that the elimination of the Department of Education at the federal level is a bad thing. But it doesn't. It also does not mean that what will occur at the state level is going to be by default a good thing. I think that. Well, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It it may not necessarily be a good thing, um, but I think one of the dates that you gave in your podcast was January twenty twenty five. Correct. So, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, that's a light year away. There's so much that can change before then Agreed. that we don't even know what's coming. Agreed. Yeah. But if if I was the White Hat and I I got rid of the Department of Education and my next step was to expose the perverts and pedophiles at the state level and the local level, I'd toss it back to the state level and see what they did. Yeah, certainly communists. So somebody's watching. That's right. Yep. And I agree with that take. I, I have no doubt that that's highly possible. Because again, the the good guys had to have known that when you take something as big as the subject of education with the importance that it has from a generation and generation in and out level, I mean, we all know it is the brainwashing apparatus of the entire world. And if you don't eliminate it, and you don't eliminate all of the tentacles of that and, uh, and eventually cut the head off, it'll grow back. And it'll... Okay, but... But but now let me take what you said in the podcast you did yesterday, where you, where you um, gave President Trump giving his ten points. Right. Um, I li- I listened to that and I was like, "Ooh, there's an Overton window, right?" Correct. It's it's not unthinkable. It's not radical. Most people would accept it as sensible. It could be very popular with parents, but. President Trump was not talking to you or me or other awake people. Right. He was talking to the people who are still sacked out. They're still immersed in their programming. But these things that he has suggested are very acceptable to them, right? Don't parents want their students, their their children to be educated rather than indoctrinated? Sure. The the vast majority uh, certainly do, yeah. Sure, and the vast majority of parents are probably not in the position where they could actually do homeschooling. So the way President Trump puts this out there for, shall I call them, the normie population, the way he puts these ideas out for the normie population is very reasonable, very sensible, things that they already want their normal school system to do. They already want that. They're maybe not quite sure how to get there. Yeah. But but the, the 
the way President Trump talks about how what he wants to do with the economy or with the school system and so forth, that's not for the people who have already begun um, brainwashing themselves. That's that's for the normie population, so they can go. I like that. That that sounds good. I I can be on board with that. And but it it will move us. It will take us in a direction where eventually the entire K twelve system will be. De- devolved back down to the local level where the parents are in charge. It's almost, I'm, I'm thinking we almost might get back to something that resembles a one-room schoolhouse. That, that would certainly, that would certainly be nice. I'm, I'm a little less optimistic on that, whereas I would, I would, I would interject within your point there when you, again, mentioned bringing it back to the state level. And, and Trump's comments on his 10 principles of, of where he sees education going in the future. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he, even he knows how big local government is and how big state government oh, yeah. is. And these, I mean, these monsters don't want to give up an inch of power, so much so that they've created, of course, as, as you heard, new departments and new subgroups yeah. of departments and more, well, you know, yeah. more positions. And, I mean, right. it's the illusion of smaller government but it isn't it's it's clearly far bigger i i also Correct. think that that alone is going to deter a lot of people from wanting to continue to send their kids into the k-12 system and then like what i said in the in the most recent episode too in that follow-up audio is the straw that breaks the camel's back is tax money being given back to the parents to spend it even on their own children's homeschooling right yeah well we both know. We both know the K-12 system is a communist system, and we both know that eventually it will fail. Right. We need we need parents to hear President Trump's message, especially normie parents, and to say yes, that's what I want, so that the so that the herd starts going in the right direction to where eventually we do get to the point where all the school money taxes come back to the parents so they can spend it the way they want to on their own particular child's education. Whether they're doing homeschooling or some other kind of pod learning, like what was going on out in California during 2020 and 2021. Um, so I think it's it's moving us in the right direction. It's the right story to tell the brainwashed people. Whereas the real goal is to get rid of the communist K-12 system and just take it apart entirely, take it away from the state level, put it back to the local level, and an even more granular solution would be to put it right back in the parent's lap. That would be the best solution. Put it right back where it belongs. Yep. So, but it's, but it's a process, right? You can't just... You can't just rip down the K-12 system and, and throw it back into the parent's lap and go, there you go, here you are, educate your child. Yep. No, you've got to, it's, it's got to be a gradual process so that as people wake up and look around and go, oh man, this K-12 system is really rotten. It's rotten to the core. So that then they can begin taking the proper steps for their own child's education, their own child's benefit. But you can't just, you can't remove a system that's been a thousand years in the making and not have some plan for what you're going to replace it with. 
You can't do that. And that's, that is the whole, if you overlook everything that's going on in the world, these deep staters, if, if you believe what some of the truthers are saying, these deep staters have been at this plan for thousands of years. You can't remove all of these governments, which are tyrannical in nature. You just can't pull them out and go, okay, there you go, people. No, you've got to have an idea of what you're going to replace it with. You've got to have the people awake enough that they're going, oh, that's that government that we have, federal, state, or local, that sucks. We've, we've got to do, we've got to step into the, into the void there and take up the mantle of how we want this to go. It's going to have to be a very enlightened and educated conversation that we're having. And it's not going to happen overnight, but but I certainly could see in 10 or 20 years, or maybe even sooner, that, that that's the direction that we're going. That, that the story, this, this story is almost like a movie where it's got multiple, multiple subplots, different things going on, and we're all moving in the direction of kind of a conclusion to the movie where most of us are going to be looking around going, yep, kind of thought this is where we were going to get to. And meaning that we're going to have the rest of the population, or most of it, a good portion of it, in the United States saying, this federal government has got to go, and we've got to re, we've got to tear it all down and start over. And we have the papers, we have the foundations that we need to do that, right? The Declaration of Independence and our original U.S. Constitution. So we have the blueprint, but now we have an awareness or we're, we're gaining an awareness of what's going on and how we got to this point where we've got communism in our front laps. You have to know where, you have to know how you got to where you got so that you can fix it. You can't just, you know, you, you, you just, you can't, you can't replace something that's been a thousand years in the making with nothing. You have to replace it with something and it's got to be, it's got to be the right thing. It can't be just some warmed over, well, you know, okay, we'll just make it smaller. No, no, you have to start over and everybody's got to be. They've got to understand how we got to where we got. Otherwise, we're, we're, we can't move forward. And But we are moving forward. We're moving forward very slowly. It's, it's a little bit like the blob. You know, when the blob was very small, it didn't have very much power. But once it got moving and got growing, then you can make, then you can take the steps necessary that are the right steps to put us, all of us, the entire population of the earth in their different countries to put them on a better footing where they can, without interference from the deep state, they can then begin making some better choices. But you have to understand where you came from. Otherwise, you're not going to know where you're going. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a slugfest. And I agree with you on the timeline. 10, 20 years down the line, you know, this is, this is going to continue to be a massive fight. I mean, you're talking about, I remember back in 2021, you for, for the very first time had states coming out, writing legislation and passing law about how the critical theories couldn't be taught anymore. 
And then there right. were there were all the threats again about we're going to remove college money and university money if the critical theories are taught. And so what did they do? They started eliminating those programs. Of course, they hide in their own ways in different avenues. And you can't necessarily drill those ideologies out of the people's minds who firmly believe them. But until, right. until those laws are eliminated and until those things permanently change, you know, you're always going to have that ever-present uh, albatross exist within those school environments. But again, I, I think, like you said, with more more knowledge and, and certainly more of a, of a lack of participation within these institutions, that, that itself is going to wake up a lot of these a lot of these school districts, but you know, you even bring in the the issue of curriculum and how false the science and history curriculum has been since the beginning of time within these government related schools. Until that changes, right? You're, you're not really getting down to the root of the problem. But it is it is going to be yeah, it's going to be interesting, no doubt. Yeah. Well, again, I think that more and more truth is going to be revealed. Um, it's, it's going to take a minute for, it's going to take a minute for the general population to rouse from their deep slumber and throw off their programming. But the more people that do that, the less area there will be for any infiltrator to hide. Imagine with me a school district where 90% of the parents are awake and they're looking at their children's curriculum and they're saying, this is garbage, this is bullshit, you've got to change this. And they go and vote out the school board members that need to be voted out and parents step into, into that place and they say, okay, now we're going to change the curriculum. And which means that the publishing companies will have to produce the books with the proper history or science or whatever so that these school systems will buy those books. So even the publishing companies may go belly up. I mean, look at Pearson Education. They're a behemoth in the textbook publishing realm. And a lot of what they, a lot of what they print and publish is pure, absolute bullshit. Yeah. And so... So it's, again, it's going to take all of us doing our little piece, whatever that little piece is, but you put it all together and you have, you have a mosaic of, of information that parents can draw on. And as one school district um, relieves themselves of the deep state, uh, tyrannical CRT and whatever else that they want to get rid of, another school district is going to you know, maybe with friends or family, or, or say, hey, look at what they're doing. Why don't we do that? So, you know, as one school district after another fixes their problem and regains their footing, getting rid of anybody who's a pedophile or pedo or whatever, and correcting the problem at the local level, other people around them are going to find out, and it's going to spread out. It's, it's an exponential process. You know, I tell two people, they tell two people, and within a month you've got a million people who know what's going on. It's not, and I think that once it gets rolling, Sean, I, I don't think it's going to take that long. I don't see it taking 20 years. I see it may, maybe taking five years, but we have to get to the point where a lot of people are waking up and looking around and saying, I don't like what's going on 
with my child's school. And, and we had that in 2020, in the fall of 2020, when all the kids were at home. That's why the, that's why the mama bears and papa bears woke up and said, what is this crap? Because they were seeing it. They were seeing what their students were learning. Yeah, you know what? Uh, and it ties right in, too. Uh, and I agree with you 100%. Um, Amazing Polly brought this up. In her, in her most recent episode, and, and she was referencing a particular book, and, and the episode is only about 18 minutes long, but she, but she says that she was reading a, uh, a Twitter post from this, from this doctor lady who has 600,000 followers, and I've seen her tweets before, and she's apparently awake. Uh, certainly seems like it when it comes to COVID and tyranny and this, that, and the other, but she made a particular post that Polly highlights and, and then rants about for essentially the episode, and Polly's right. The the female doctor, she says, I, I just sent my daughter off to college uh, for another year of college. And I told her, uh, remember that everything that you're learning and then everything that's being taught within your college classes is a lie. So whatever, yeah. you, so whatever you do, just, just, just learn, just learn and, and do what you're asked to do, but just understand that it's all a lie. And Polly basically yeah. said, and Polly's right, she said, wait a minute, that's the problem. The problem is, is that you're acknowledging that it's a lie, but you're still playing the game. Right, right. Well, the only way to win this one is to don't play the game. Um, one of the questions that I, I, I don't know why I asked this, but one of the questions I asked on my first day of class this semester is, what if everything you've ever been taught is a lie? You don't know it's a lie. Because from from kindergarten, first, second, all the way through 12th grade, that lie has been reinforced. What if it's a lie? Yeah. How do you determine that it's a lie when everybody else is believing in the same lie? Your teachers are believing in the same lie because they're not old enough to remember when it wasn't a lie. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you too, with, with social media the way that it is, and the in the information age, quote unquote, and certainly technology, and how we have these these platforms and this connectivity between people and humans on Earth, the likes of which we've never had before. I, I've I've said this previously on my show, but one of the one of the uh, I would say evidence buoys in the water, and certainly one of the markers is that you will start to see more and more students confront their school teachers with proof that what they're being taught in their in that particular classroom is not true so a teacher yeah. a teacher will openly say you know we're going to learn about the moon landing and then and then students start laughing and then they pull out right. their phones and they go wait a minute wait a minute that didn't happen and here's endless videos right here at my fingertips that prove that it didn't happen that's where, exactly. right. I mean, that right there too is where those students are going to have to go home, look at their parents. But this right here, I think, is the generational leap. If they go home and they look at their parents and they say, look, we're being taught this. You know, this is a lie as a parent. I know it's a, st I, I know it's a lie as a student. So why are you sending me here and why am I going? And there then, you and, go. and then and, that's got to be the shift. And that, that, those are the type of students that I'm seeing right now. They're awesome. Yep. Those students, those students have already been born. Yep. Those students, they're, they're in our midst right now. On the first day of class, when I talked about how 
uh, and this happened a year ago in, in the fall as well, when I talked about how many people had been injured or killed by the COVID jabs, I had a student say, you got any sauce for that? I was, and I said, I am so happy you asked me that. Here, tickety, tickety, tickety. Look at openbears.com. And there it was. I said, now. Did they actually, point, did they, was, did they actually use the word sauce? They sure did. See that right there? That's even a, that's See, even an indicator. That, yeah. Yep. They're in the, they're in the classes. So this year when I said, when I gave this, I said, there have been hundreds of thousands of people. <clears throat> who have been injured or or murdered by these COVID jabs? I got I got the look from the students. Hey, you got to back that up with data. So I said, I'm glad you're asking me that. Tickety tickety. Take a look at this. Openbears.com. And I said, this is now you have to understand. This is not actually completely accurate. This is only about one percent of the people. And I said, do the math real quick. How many people have actually died from these jabs? And someone went, oh, my God, it's over 3 million. I said, yeah. Safe and effective? You think so? I don't. Yeah. So we, they're go. already there, Sean. They're, um, I have students who told me early. This is the earliest students have ever told me ever since I've been teaching. I'm going home this weekend. I'm telling my parents everything you said. Usually awesome. it happens around Thanksgiving in the fall semester. No, it's happening right now. They're talking with their friends. They're talking with their parents. They're talking with their other family, you know, friends from across the spectrum. Now, we already have the students who are, who are going to go back to their parents and say, why are we doing this? This is stupid. It's fantastic. Yep. The kids are already here. Um, They've already been born. There's more and more of them. And thank God we had COVID because that woke up a whole bunch of them. True. Very those true. Are, those, are the, those are the kids, you know, they're over 13 or 14. They're the ones who are going to look at their parents and say, I'm not going back to that school. I'm just going to homeschool myself. Or I'm going to uh, teach myself a trade, you know. Uncle Joe is an electrician. He can teach me how to, to be an electrician. So the kids are, they've already been born. This generation that is going to leap us away from the deep state. And when Donald Trump comes out with his 10 points of this is how I think, this is the direction I think education should go, that's just going to reinforce everything. Yep. So I have a lot of hope for the future. I really do because, like I said, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a generation of kids come into university that is like none that have ever been there before. These students are, um, they're very sharp. They have more um, information even than their parents ever did. They're they're often. Um, they're, they're the students that maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, we would have, there would have only been one or two quote unquote troublemakers in class, you know, but, but these students are all, it's almost like their truth detector has been turned on full. And, and that's, that's kind of the best way I can put it. They, they know bullshit when they hear it and they're going to push back. They're going to start pushing back on their on their professors. I know several professors who retired because they couldn't take it. 
and they only maybe had one or two students in their class that were pushing back. It was fun to watch, actually. Yeah. They realized they weren't in control and didn't have it all figured out. Yep. Yep. And students were, were, they were throwing the truth back up at the professors. This is baloney. Why are you teaching this? Well, it's, you know, it's on my curriculum. Well, I don't like it that you're teaching me lies. So it's a good thing. It's, it's happening, Sean. In our lifetimes, we are going to see every institution, every political community body that was ever infiltrated by the deep state, it's going to collapse. Our money system is going to collapse. Our economy is going to collapse because everything that we look out your window, other than your trees and your house, but all the everything that we have learned is a lie. And it's all built on a lie. And all of those lies are being exposed one by one by one. And as they're being exposed, people turn away from them because it's unsustainable. And so everything, our entire world, the entire worldview that we've grown up with, even you and me, we're still going to be looking around going, wow, I can't believe that whole entire thing fell apart. But it has to, because there's no way to keep a lie going. And we are, we are moving very quickly into an epoch of truth where only the truth will survive. And anything that's built on a lie will crumble away. And for some people, it's going to be really traumatic. Can you imagine the people that haven't woken up and refuse to wake up and they, they, just, they just don't want to know that everything that they've ever learned, their entire past history, except what's come down through family stories, everything is a lie. Can you imagine waking up one day and looking around and going, my whole entire world has crumbled away because everything, everything that I ever thought was, was real isn't. And everything that I thought wasn't real is, like the moon landings. Yeah. We're coming up on 9-11. Wait until people figure out that it wasn't planes. It was some form of, I don't know, thermite. That's right. Yep. Yep. So, you know, the truth is going to come out. It just said it, it needs to be rolled out slow enough for people to wake up to it. It can't, it, it, you know, if you've got a child that is a real deep sleeper, you know, you don't go in there and shake them awake because you'll, you'll startle them. You, you kind of start out slow. Hey. Coffee's ready, or whatever. Maybe not for kids. <laughs> right. Breakfast is ready. <laughs> Come on. You know, so you never, you don't, you don't try to force a sleepwalker awake. You awaken them as slowly as you can so that little by little they come back into themselves and they kind of, you can see the wake up in their eyes and they look around and they go, oh, how did I end up in the living room? There you go. So it's got to be a it's got to be a slow process, and you know what? Patience is not one of my strong suits. I'm one of the most impatient people in the world. 
as far as I'm concerned, this all could have come rolling out in March of 2020, but, you know, most of the population of the earth would have rejected it, said, that's crazy. So it has to be, it has to be slow, but I think that we're speeding up. I think that um, as more and more truth um, is brought to light, that means that more and more truth can be brought to light faster, if that makes any sense. So your sense of time speeding up probably is pretty accurate. Yeah, it certainly feels like it, because again, I'm remembering things that not only happened a year ago, two years ago, but decades ago. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's intense. Yeah. yeah. Well, think of it this way. As you keep deprogramming yourself, you are freeing up all of that information to come to you at a moment's notice. You're, you're throwing away a lot of the cobwebs. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that we're ever going to be completely, totally awake, not in the next 10 minutes anyway, but I'm willing to allow that over the course of the next months and years, we're going to become more and more aware. And those parts of our brain that operate on truth are going to become stronger. It's like exercising a muscle. I agree. Do you, have a, do you have a second to talk about the financial system, too? Sure. Go for it. What, what, what do you see on the landscape right now? Well, I noticed um, over here on Zero Hedge um, this morning, today is the 5th, right? This morning, um, U.S. factory orders tumbled in July and transports, um, transports heavy. But I'm looking at a... I'm looking at a graph that showed that the peak of our factory orders and transports, the peak was sometime before June of 2021. That was the peak, and that was two years ago. And since then, our um, factory orders have declined. Um, We know that um, the cargo industry is slowing down, and I think some of that has to do with what's happening on the money part of the economy um, across the world. And I'm sure that your listeners are already aware that um, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa consortium, the BRICS, met in um, pretty close to Johannesburg, South Africa, August the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And um, they have accepted into their ranks Another five or six countries, um, I don't have the names at at the tip of my tongue, but they're all oil-producing countries. They will all be officially joining the BRICS. They're going to call it the BRICS 11 on January the 1st, 2024. And those 11 countries represent 88% of the oil-producing countries in the world. And they'll all be not using the U.S. dollar to buy and sell their goods, oil, whatever, grains, whatever's being imported and exported. They're going to use their own currencies, not the U.S. dollar. So this is not good news for the U.S. dollar. And also, these 11 countries represent 50% of the food production in the world. 
So this tendency of the Davos group, the World Economic Forum, um, Bill Gates, who's trying to buy up farmland by the millions of acres, although I'm not sure if that story is true or just out there to wig us out, um, these countries are now going to be buying and selling their agricultural goods without using the U.S. dollar. Which means that the U.S. dollar is going to, it's going to lose exponentially more value as we tread towards 2024. And then once we get into 2024, as more countries join the BRICS and leave the U.S. dollar behind, that what that means is basically is there's going to be more U.S. dollars floating around and fewer goods to be bought. And that means that our inflation rate is going to go sky high. The U.S. dollar is going to be the last fiat currency in the world to crumble. But it will. It will crumble. Nothing's going to stop it now. And because this- all of these countries are moving away from... Um, being owned and pwned by the deep state. And it'll bring down the European Union too, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the European Union will go as well. Yep. Good. Any country, any country that will not relinquish their cold on using a fiat money is going to go down. And eventually, they'll all join the BRICS system. I think the U.S. will be the last one. But I but I think um, on one of my, I think on the last time I was on your show, I said that there were something like 23 United States states that are applying to BRICS memberships because each state is its own nation state by right and by fact. We know that um, 27 states are using, have have either passed laws or are passing laws to make gold and silver legal tender inside of their states. Um, Texas, we passed September 1st, so Texas should have instituted their own gold-backed digital currency by now. And we know that Tennessee has its own sovereign gold bullion bank. Um, they've already passed their legislation and they're in the process of making it work. So the states, one by one, are removing themselves out from underneath the Federal Reserve System. But again, there's that, there's that little thing, you know, if we're under continuity of government, and what we know is at the end of February 2020, February 29th, actually, that um, Donald Trump, President Trump, put the Federal Reserve into underneath the U.S. Treasury umbrella. So the, the, the White Hats are taking us down a path where all of the deep state tentacles are going to be chopped off. But it's, like I said, it's got to be a gradual thing. You can't, you can't just throw this, you can't throw the car into reverse if you're running down the road at 100 miles an hour. You'll wreck the car. I think this is a very slow rolling, see, how did Ed Dowd called it? Ed Dowd called it a slow rolling Mad Max apocalypse. That's fitting. But I think that, yeah, we're going in the right direction. Everything, the economy that we know has been built on a Federal Reserve note that has nothing behind it. It is a completely 
fabricated currency. It's a lie. And so our entire economy is, is has to collapse. Anything that's using that Federal Reserve note will go down the tubes, but it will be replaced by all of us using an asset-backed money, like gold or silver, or, or a gold token, you know, a, a digital token, and we will replace this economy that was built on a lie, we'll, we will replace it with using truth, using a true money, like gold or silver. So it's coming. Um, you know, the thing to do is to be prepared. Your suggestions on that? Well, um, I, I always suggest if you can, if it's if it's possible to get as far far away from debt as you can. So if you can, if if it's possible to pay off your credit cards or to pay your car note down or to pay your house note down, do that. Um, I would I would lay up some food. You know, fuck my grandmother, great grandmother, my mother. We all did canning in the summer. We canned everything. If it came out of the garden, it got put into a jar and saved for winter. So I would, so I would suggest, you know, putting up some food or getting some canned goods or laying in a store. My favorite thing is toilet paper. Um, you know, lay in a store of a couple months worth of this stuff. I, I don't know how long we're going to be in a situation where the economy is dead. I don't think that will ever. I don't think that's going to happen because I think our local economies might be okay, but there could be some supply disruptions, you know. The stores that I go to get regular um, regular truck deposits, you know. They, they've, they've got their canned goods or their breads or whatever, and they're coming in on a, a regular basis. But if we get an interruption in that supply chain, um, it's possible that you could see some empty shelves. But I think that most people are resilient enough, especially if you're planning for something like this. You you you've got a plan B in your back pocket, and you know if you uh, you run out of bread, you've got something else that you can eat. I would, if if it's possible, um, I would have your listeners uh, buy a little bit of silver. Um, I'm I'm not actually wealthy enough to go out and buy gold. But, you know, silver is a good replacement. I would start talking with neighbors, neighbor up, you know. I've got three neighbors who raise chickens. I'm sure I could trade them a jar of salsa or a, a jar of um, blackberry jam for half a dozen eggs if I needed to. Hell, they'd probably just give it to me. They've got so many chickens. There you so go. Yeah. It, yeah, so it's, we're, you might be, there was a time in the United States when neighboring communities, you know, your neighbors up and down the street were far more willing to lend a hand and help. And I think we're, that's what we're going to go back to, where neighbors really are neighbors, not just strangers on the street. That would, that would be very nice. Yeah. So, you know. When you're out and about, wave hi to your neighbors. Get to know them. Um, let them get to know you. There's, I, I, I don't think that 
either of us live in communities that are especially large, so I don't know that, you know, you would see any Antifa or BLM riots and building burnings in either of our communities. But, you know, you get enough neighbors together. If somebody's in the neighborhood that doesn't belong, everybody knows it. True. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I, I used to tell people, go look at um, CNBC or Bloomberg, but I'm pretty much convinced that the numbers that we see, those um, media financial channels blare out, I'm pretty certain that all of those numbers are fake. I'm not sure how much I trust them. Um, I trust what I can what I can see and feel with my hands. So when I go to the grocery store and I see that um, an 18 count of carton of eggs is back down to a buck 89 instead of six and a half dollars, it tells me that a lot of the chicken producers are are getting back online to producing eggs. And you know when the chicken has gone from four dollars a pound to a dollar ninety nine a pound. That's that's a good thing too. Um, I would say if any of your listeners and viewers have floor freezers, that when they come upon a good deal on any kind of meat, um, buy it up, wrap it up in freezer paper, and chuck it in the freezer because you never know when you know you might need it. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that our electrical system will go down. I've heard a lot of uh, ballyhooing about how fragile our electrical system is, but I kind of get the idea that the white hats in control have taken care of that. Um, but but there are a lot of rumors that go skating across the social media, and I'm not sure how many of the rumors are true. I think some of them are meant to frighten people, and. And in my own personal life, in order to push the fear away, action is necessary. So action pushes fear away from you. So your listeners and viewers should be should be taking some, doesn't have to be gigantic actions, just little actions that you look around and you say, I could take this little action here. I could buy an extra 24-pack um, of toilet paper, for example. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot. And I think that we're coming to a time when it's possible that we may see multiple generations living together again. You know, we used to do that. Yep, no doubt about it. Yeah, so I mean, um, I think that I think that we are we as humans are adaptable and innovative enough that whatever is tossed in our direction, if we've had enough time to prepare for it, we can we can we can kind of be a little flexible. But it's it's when you don't prepare and it's all of a sudden an emergency that that's when things can get a little hairy. So my suggestion for your listeners is to look around, take the small actions that you know you can take. Um, the bigger actions might take a little bit more planning. But, you know, just be ready for whatever comes down the pike at you. And then if nothing happens, that's great. There you go. Better Does to be prepared. Oh, yeah. Better to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, 
like I said, I, I like buying toilet paper. Um, but I would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And there you go. And that's sort of my, that's sort of been my attitude since 2020. I'd rather have something and never need it. Um, maybe somebody else could need it and, and I could be, you know, help fill in the gap a little bit. But if I don't have it and I need it, and neither does anyone else have it when I need it, then I might be in a pile of trouble. So I would say the best things to do, especially knowing that our, our fiat currency is not going to be around for too much longer. And I don't know how long, Sean. I don't know. I, I don't have a sense for impending disaster, but I do know that in countries where inflation has gone, hyperinflation, that that last step where the, the fiat currency finally is no longer accepted anywhere can go very fast. It goes very slowly and then it, then it goes really fast. So I don't have a, I don't, my crystal ball is foggy on when that might happen. But it's coming sooner than it was a year ago. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I you know, I, there's train tracks behind my house here, and one of the indicators of production, and one of the indicators of of real movement of goods and services, was before 2016, and then the days after the election on 2016, when Donald Trump took office. We went from having two trains, maybe three trains a day, to 11 plus trains a day. Wow. Yeah. That's it, cool. It, it was cool. It was awesome. And, and these were long trains. These were not, these were not your, your typical you know, short trains. We're, we're talking trains with multiple engines, even in the middle of the train, in order to continue wow. to push and pull the amount of product that they were moving. And then, of course, Joe Biden enters, and you know we're back down to three trains a day. Wow, wow, that's that's quite a dramatic shift. Yep. So it can happen yep. quickly, like you said. Well, again, um, I think that what do you know the term kayfabe? I don't think so. Okay. Well, it came out of the world of wrestling um, when I was a kid. And the little town I lived in, we only had three TV channels. And on Saturday and Sunday afternoon, the only thing really to watch was wrestling. Nice. And um, kayfabe, I, I, I didn't know it back then. But when I was watching wrestling, it turned out that every wrestler had a persona. Um, uh, uh, the evil dude or the good guy. And they would... They would have, they would tell a story with their wrestling. Sometimes the good guy would win and the bad guy would lose. And sometimes the bad guy would win and the good guy would lose. But what I've learned since then is that these wrestlers, they all knew what the drama was that they were acting out. And some of them never dropped their persona when they were out in public. They were being fake in public. They were carrying this persona, kind of like an actor will carry their persona wherever they go. Um, well, kayfabe is pig Latin for be fake. And a kayfabe is where you're watching a drama. It's not real, 
all the actors in it have their own personas. They're an actor in the drama, but they never drop their persona when you're watching them. And I think what we're watching out in the world is a great big kayfabe. I mean, if, I'm sure you've gone to look to see the many different faces of Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, true. It's a kayfabe. And I heard this morning that uh, the, the character known as Jill Biden got COVID again. How can you get COVID when it didn't exist and the PCR test is a fake? Right, and you're jabbed with these things that are supposed to keep you from getting sick in the first place. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think, this is my own personal opinion, and I take great delight now in watching what's going on out there, knowing that most of what I'm seeing is just a big drama. It's like watching a big high school play with lots more characters and lots more subplots, but it's all a big drama being put on for the normie class because they're sacked out, they're sound asleep, they're brainwashed and programmed, but it's an acceptable story, right? We knew um, when the 2020 election season rolled through, or, or at least I knew, that the person I was watching who claimed he was Joe Biden um, campaigning from his basement was a big act, you know? <laughs> so... Everything that we're watching is just a big kayfabe. It's one great big drama. And if you can, once you actually realize that and get it into your head and into your heart, you will be a lot more cozy, comfy with what's going on out there because your focus is on what you are doing to help wake up your neighbors and your friends and your family or just whatever it is that you need to do to move your small community towards more freedom. That's your job. That's my job. It's not to spend too much time looking at all the confusion and chaos and who the hell knows if we're getting the truth anyway. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is doing our small part to move the entire human population towards more freedom so that we can once again forever throw socialism and communism and tyranny into the dustbin of history and bury it. That's our job. Exactly what you're doing. Yep, I like it. I'll take that job. Okay. Well, you're doing a great job, Sean. I'm so thankful. I really love listening to your podcast and watching your war stories. Well, they're not war stories, but, but it's a delightful library of storytelling so that once we're all out of this, you can look back and you have an entire timeline of what was going on. You know, it'll be a great um, remembrance to be able to tell the next generations, those, those humans who are being born today and next year and in 10 years. This is what happened. This is how we won the war against the, the deep state and the Kazarian mafia. You know, man, you, you really missed all the fun. And we're right in the middle of it. I think it's great. Yep, still going on. Yep, so your mom was right. She was going to see something nobody in history has ever seen. I think, I think that's pretty cool. Thank you for listening to American Education FM.
Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.